love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Jerry Collins on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday's Talking Football across Central Scotland on DAB Digital Radio, online at rocksportradio.co.uk via your smartphone and your smart speaker. That's using the TuneIn and the Radiogram apps. And, of course, you can watch the programme live. That's on Facebook, on Twitter and on Periscope. Uh, tonight, Jerry Collins in the studio with me. We'll talk to Charlie Richmond soon about the big refereeing decisions of the uh, the weekend. Alien United midfielder Mark Kerr joins us and Mark Donaldson, ESPN uh, will talk to us. Mark is a big Jambos fan and he'll have it, give us his views on uh, Craig Levine. Uh, we'll also have a bit of a chat about the Europa League and uh, Rangers and Celtic in action during that. We'll even open the, the lines for you to give your views on ver- various things. And uh, that's on 033 That's for the last half an hour. And Jerry can give us his predictions for the Champions League winner as well a wee bit later on. Uh, Mr Collins, how are you? I'm fine. I'm very well, thank you. Great weekend. What did you do? Believe it or not, I was at parties all weekend, Bill. Parties? Kiddies parties. Kiddies parties? Yes. Okay. I, I was doing my... Nephews, nieces? Grandson. Grandson? Yes. Um, it's not one party, have them, it's two parties. The party, his birthday's on a Sunday, but the party starts on a Saturday. And then the adults go up and have their wee party on the Sunday. So, I've been enjoying myself all weekend. Mm. How many grandkids you got, Jerry? Three. Same Three. as me. How old are they? Mark is eight, Megan six, and Millie a year old. My wife loves that name, Millie. Millie. She loves it. Yes, I've got three. William, who's 12, 11, and twins, Hannah and Charlie, who are eight. William, play football? He used to. He used to play down at Falkirk, but when that all closed down, he stopped it. But he started again at the school, but he's also started playing rugby as well. Mm-hmm. I think he just likes rolling around in mud, to be honest with you, Jerry. I thought Stenis Muir, did they know they're good? Kind of, yes, they do, they do, but he, he just kind of gets sickened after the Falkirk thing fell apart. Oh. Uh, <clears> but he's playing again with the school, and as I say, he's playing rugby. Great swimmer, though. He's a really good swimmer. Brilliant. Very good. Brilliant. As so, long as he enjoys the sport, and no matter what it is, golf, rugby, football, well, if he enjoys it, encourage him. They're great, your grandkids, though, aren't oh, they? Oh, fun. They Hon- give you something special in life. Fantastic, honestly. Fantastic. Love it. William's a wee wind-up merchant, though. He can tell great tales, and you start to believe him, and then you see a wee smirk coming on his face. Yeah, nah, they're great. And you Love just them. think to yourself, you wee swine, you've just done it again. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, absolutely. Anyway, now that we've done all the family stuff, yeah. let's move on to the business of the day. Charlie Richmond, how are you? Oh, wonderful, wonderful, Bill, yourself. Good, we missed you last week, but there, it was the international thing and not a lot to talk about, Charlie, to be honest with you. Well, everything from a, an official point of view passed with uh, flying colours from there. Um, the fallout of the national team performances was probably gave you a bit more discussion. Well, it gave us lots of discussion, to be honest with you, but, I mean, you get fed up saying the same things over and over again. Exactly, that's that's it. What was it you used to say, Bill? There's only so much you can flog a dead horse. (laughs) They've got a great thing in Ireland where they say you're now killing dead things. (laughs) 
Well, it doesn't upset me, Charlie. It doesn't upset me the fact we're all disappointed we get beat. But if we get beat and I felt we'd a right good crop of players, I'd be probably be more disappointed. But the fact is, the players that we've got, I'm thinking, well, are we punching above our weight and where we are, or should we do better? I don't know. I just I'm not as disappointed as I would be with a good crop of players there. I just, think, I just think the whole emphasis is turned away from international football now. I, I, I think certain players don't care about football, about the national team. When, when other ones have got your Champions League, etc., etc., and also, and you've the, the week in week out of your club. I think, I think club football has got more of a hold now, whereas. 15, 20, 25 years ago when, when we had a, a, a right good crop of players uh, coached well left to do their own devices they were all for international football but it's totally swung 180 degrees now Charlie can I ask you a question do you think the current England yeah. squad care about international football no you don't no and I, and I, I think you'll see over the the next couple of years about uh, the influx of the foreign players coming into the Premiership, where does the talent of the of the English person coming through? No, but I, I forget forget no. the talent side of things. Look at what yeah. Gareth Southgate's done. Do you think he's rallied a team there or a squad there that care about playing for their country? He's, he's probably got, and this might sound daft, but he's probably got a group of players who are harmonised in the dressing room side of things, but uh, they, they like to play for the country, but whether whether they go on and, 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 and do well in that side of things, it's a nicety, but I don't think it's a, a priority. Jerry, what do you think? I think it has rekindled the spirit in England, because I think what they've got, when you get together, they're like a club team. They're all fighting for each other. You very seldom hear about England players falling out with each other. That doesn't happen because they're, they're that close, Bill. Do you think the Welsh team have got a passion for playing for their national side? I think they had it and they're maybe losing it. And it, it can go for so long. England are on the crest of a wave now. They're reaping the rewards for, for what they've achieved. I don't think, what, was it 15 games? They're undefeated. So all that builds momentum. It builds camaraderie within that squad. And I think they're like a club team. And I think he's really built ever not for them. Do you think Michael O'Neill's got Northern Ireland? I think he had it as well. He had it at the same time as Bill's had it. But I think that a, he's hit the, the peak. So what's... what's there's the, a brilliant example. There's a brilliant example, Michael O'Neill with Northern Ireland. Years ago, and they're all of a sudden now, they're starting to, oh yes, and they play us are getting recognition because of their international side of things. And whereas years ago, Northern Ireland players playing in the English Premiership, and there was probably one or two or three, but now they're making the grade and that side of things. And Michael O'Neill's got a right good harmony in the dressing room. Let me ask you this, guys. There's a common factor with Wales, England and Northern Ireland. What do you think it is? A common factor. Yeah, there's a common factor with, uh, for the camaraderie and the fact that they're uh, as one and they've got a better spirit than we've got. What do you think it is, the common factor? They've been good players. They've been winning games. Aye, good players. They've right. been winning games. 
If we were winning games, people would be interested in playing at international football level for us. We're not winning games. We haven't been winning games. We win. We lose games that we should win, and we get pelters, and we give them pelters, and that's why nobody wants to be part of that. Charlie, I get slaughtered on the but see if a performance. See if the performance was... See if you were walking away for Hamden getting beat 2-1 with Russia and saying, God, we had a really good performance there, but we were unlucky. I think it would be a different swing in that. But, but you walked away for Hamden and you're saying, oh my God, it looked as if the players didn't gain the ball away too easy. Everybody gave the ball away too easy. And then are defending uh, mistakes and, and, and led to the goals. Charlie, I get slaughtered on the programme... When Bill, when I said that, I think foreign players, the influx of foreign players into Scottish football has harmed our international team without doubt. Hundred percent. Celtic and Rangers, and Bill disagreed with me on this. Celtic and Rangers supplied six, seven, eight players nearly for the international team, and the fact that that Rangers supplied one player who didn't play, Ryan Jack, the manager at Scotland cannot call on where he used to call on. Three or four players for Rangers who were eight out of tens every week for him. He's not got that luxury now. And now the Celtic guys who are not performing well in Europe have now got to go and do international level and they're failing. So no wonder the manager's failing because there are too many foreign players in Scotland. It's harming your team. OK, well, look, let's talk about other things, uh, yep. specifically uh, officialdom over the weekend. St Mirren, did they wrongly have a goal disallowed uh, at the weekend, Charlie? When you look at it on, on the, the, the speed of the incident, um, you, can't, you can't blame the, the, the assistant referee because it's a very, very tight decision. Uh, wrongly, yes, when you slow it down and you get a lovely line across the screen, etc., I would have just liked to have seen, and I know he paused, he paused, he paused. I would have just liked to have seen the benefit they are due to the attacker. Because we seem to be getting goals ruled out for for wrong decisions. Whereas, when was the last time you can saw a goal scored that should have been chopped off for uh, offside? Let me ask you this. Is there a specific uh, uh, edict that's given to referees and uh, assistant referees that if there is a dubious call, is there anybody that they should come down on the side of, the attacker or the defender? Well, it was always, it was always said that if, if you, have, you have got doubt in your mind, then give the, the, the attacker the, the option. The option should go to the attacker because... You want you want to see attacking moves and goals, etc. For there, but when you're in that scenario, you are a hundred percent sure that you're flagging for offside, and um, which sounds a bit <laughs> kind of having your cake and eat it aspect of it. But if there's any doubt, you think, oh, James, that must be tight. Give the benefit, give that benefit of the doubt uh, to the attacker, and 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 let the, the the goal because all of a sudden. Your decision is on millimetres, and and to the naked eye at the time, it's a very very hard decision. So, did you think that the referee then should have given the benefit of the doubt to the the attacker if there was any? I mean, if he didn't, then he was sure in his own mind that that was an offside decision, or the the assistant was. Yeah, that's that, that's a, yeah, and and what what's kind of through this aspect of it is because the second last defender. The second last defender 
nine times out of ten in an offside decision is one of your back four. But in that scenario, the second last defender was actually the goalkeeper. So when you see the last defender, which is normally your goalkeeper, but this time it was actually your centre, your centre half. So there might have been, oh, the goalkeeper's out. He's offside. He's got to. He's got to be offside in there. But when you you slow it down, and also the other thing is, and it's nothing to do with the, the decision of the assistant referee. Why did the player touch the ball? Because it looked as if it was going in the net anyway. But going back to the, the the concept of, I would just like to see them give the benefit of the doubt when 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 there is it so close to the the naked eye and give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Charlie, what's more important, giving the goal under dubious circumstances or disallowing a goal under dubious circumstances? I think, I think when you, if you ask any referee, referee, referee would be disallow the goal under dubious circumstances. Because if you allow a goal and you think, oh, that's dubious, etc., etc., you're going to end up with players over towards you. It's a bit like when you're in the learning process of being a referee in a game yourself, when the ball gets thumped up the park and you're crossing the halfway line when the ball's in the penalty box and the guy's shouting, he's offside, and you're thinking to yourself, James, what, what do you do here? And, and you, you're probably known a position. So if you allow that goal... And the next thing you can, he's miles offside, and you've got you've got three or four of the back four in your face, and maybe having to caution them. Whereas a lot of the people would just turn around and say, right, I offside. Uh, I looked at for here when maybe a camera says, no, it wasn't. He was clearly onside um, for there. So, in, in the, the circumstances you're getting, Jerry, majority of officials would disallow the goal under dubious circumstances. OK, let's move on to another goal which should have stood Rangers' first goal uh, on Saturday <clears throat> against Livingston. Right, this is this is the one that uh, has... And this isn't a new law change, anything. It's just that referees have been given circumstances to, to adapt. When the ball's played into a crowded penalty area, it's no offence to be in an offside position. And when there's a possibility of two or three players going to attack that ball, you're always told to wait and see to the person who's actually offside goes and touches the ball. And in this case, did Colston actually touch the ball? Hmm. So, so if he's if he's not touched the ball, then it hasn't really interfered or done anything other than being an offside position. Yes, he has probably moved towards the ball, but he's not touched it because so, there's two or three. And that's why the goal was awarded. So Willie Collum got that absolutely right and made the right decision uh, in accordance with the, the standing of the law. And you're looking at it from that point of view because when the, when the free kick is taken, Colston is no interfering with the line of sight of the goalkeeper or any way, shape or form. He has moved in uh, and has he actually touched that ball? And that's that's the defining factor with regards to there. If he touches the ball, bang, clearly offside, but he's no touched it. Even though he has moved towards it, 
There's other players who have moved towards it as well, but he has not touched it. Okay, Jerry, any comments? No, I think I think that yeah, bang on there, Charlie. If he doesn't move to, you can build that the offence has not been in the offside position. Mm-hmm. It's whether he's interfering with the goalkeeper's line of vision yeah. or whether he goes to play the ball. He didn't either. Very clear. Clear. Good decision from Willie Cole. Yes. Okay. Uh, another not decision that he had to make uh, was uh, Lyndon Dykes uh, getting a red card for two yellow cards. Um, I've heard people say that it's been harsh but fair. Uh, I don't know if that's a contradiction in terms itself. I know Gary Holt wasn't particularly happy uh, with the yellow cards and uh, felt that at least one of them shouldn't have been a yellow card. Uh, what's your thoughts on those, uh, Charlie? I think I think the first one is, is, is petulance and, and that side of things, and, and it's a yellow card for that. And again, um, players need to take a wee bit more responsibility of being on a yellow card and that goes back to the concept of um, that I keep saying is when he's went up, has he went up with his elbow to use it as a weapon or is to use it as a tool? And in this case, he's went up and he's caught him in the face. He hasn't threw it into the face. He's caught him on the face, and therefore, I think it's a, another, it's a second yellow because if that incident had happened on its own, I'm sure a yellow card would have come out for that whether he had been previously cautioned or not previously cautioned. I think that incident on its own was a yellow card. So it, it, it's a learning curve for, for the Mr Dykes to, to watch. And and, and I get this, I, I get the whole argument that you can't jump without your elbows and this, and it's the way you control your elbows. Uh, and that's what you've got, got to look at and that side of things. Jerry, fair assessment for Charlie? Of course, um I think players, when managers feel harshly done by a, on a second yellow, they always think that the first one is no yellow. But you're right, Charlie, I think players have got to take more responsibility. Because the, the ones that used to get me would be, you get booked for kicking the ball away. So players would get booked for kicking the ball away because the other team are going to take a quick free kick ball. They then get booked for a foul later in the game, which is a yellow card, which puts them out of the game anyway. So players have need to take responsibility, in my opinion, to stop silly bookings because eventually they'll get a yellow card Saturday's yellow cards wear yellow cards so they've got no complaint I think I think Charlie makes a very good point about the second one that if it had happened and he hadn't been given a yellow card it would have been a yellow card anyway so I think that kind of negates anybody think it was too harsh it, it was a yellow card both of them were yellow cards for me and the yeah. reason I say both of them were yellow cards is that we've seen Alfredo Morelos held to account for petulance over the last year or so and so therefore there's a consistency there uh, and that petulance was rewarded with a yellow card uh, and rightly so in my view Yeah and, that, and Jerry maybe you'll be able to back me up but as a manager and, and certainly as a referee you're trying to control a game of football where it becomes petulance. And then the next thing you can, you're getting booked for petulance and mm. you're booked for stuff. <clears throat> yeah. And then as you you might go into the next league game, which is an important league game, and you're going to miss your centre-forward who you're thinking to yourself, I hope so. Now I've got to look at the bench and I'm going to bring on whatever the case may be. So your training sessions are wholly different set up for, for the, the week because of this petulance. It's, it's, see if it's no your free kick, 
leave the ball alone, mm-hmm. get away out the road, and 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 get behind the ball and defend, defend for the front, etc., etc. Charlie Lambo used to find players just before players go to the park. Our kind of last bit of talk to them, Bill, was that you play with controlled aggression. And mm-hmm. by that, what I mean is you do it within the laws of the game. But there are going to be times where that the referee might find that that's a wee bit old, that, or what that's no within the laws. And you might get a yellow card. But we used to always stress, Charlie, that the one thing you don't do is you don't get, don't get yourself involved by talking to your referees or bad-mouthing referees or kicking the ball away uh-huh. or throwing the ball away, it puts you under pressure because all of a sudden then the, the tackle that you think you should have made, that might have been, it might have been a foul, a professional foul where he stopped somebody running through and he can't make that foul uh-huh. because he's off the park. And that was the things that anger uh-huh. does, getting booked for petulance and talking back and kicking the ball away because you're always going to get booked uh-huh. for, for the innocuous tackle at some point. Charlie, uh, yeah. going on now, to the penalty that, that Rangers gave away. The Rangers manager, Stephen Gerrard, said no complaints at all. It was a penalty all day long. Breath of fresh air. Managers coming out and saying that they think it's a penalty, more and more and more of it. I love I love these managers that come out and, well, oh, I never saw it at the time, or, or etc. What are they watching? <laughs> and we, used to, we, used to, we used to turn up at the, 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 the game and the manager was out, and he would be sitting in the dugout, and you, for just for a bit of joke to break the ice, you'd go into the dugout and sit down beside him and say, I can see everything for here, so we should be all right with the decisions today. And it was just a bit of a, a laugh and a joke. But, yeah, uh, clear penalty, no argument. And if you look at, again, I don't want to get caught up in players' reactions, but if you look at Scott Arfield, he's been done. He commits the foul, he gets up, and he actually walks away. He's he's listening for well he's he's expecting to hear the referee's whistle when he hears it he gets up and he's probably a wee bit more angry with himself for diving in kind of type rather than staying in his feet. Jerry, penalty kick. Managers coming out and saying yeah. it was a penalty, no problems with it. Penalty all day long. Should they do mm. it more, or do they have a? Well, do, let me ask you then. Let me ask you. Would you have done that if you beat three one? You asked me if I believe he would have. Aye. Yeah, I do. Well, I don't. Well, I do. I don't believe any manager would come out and say it's a definite penalty if your team get beat. So, that's my opinion. Well, that's the difference. So, are they kidding their cell phone then, Jerry? No, no. I know they turn turn the emphasis on, but if it's a penalty if you win 3-1, then how can it not be a penalty if you get beat 3-1? No, I I never said that. What I said, he wouldn't come out and say it, Charlie. I know what you're coming from, yeah. It's easier to say it's a penalty kick when you win 3-1 than it is to say uh-huh. it's a penalty kick if you lose 3-1. I don't believe any manager would come out and say it was a stonewall penalty kick when your teams get beat. I don't believe that. Well, I've heard them be critical of his team previously. He's been critical. When, yeah, but I mean, of individual players doing silly things when they've got beat. Like giving away penalties or getting sent off or whatever, you know he's yeah. he's not uh-huh. he's not minced yeah. his words previously, and I'm not sticking up for Stephen Gerrard. I just think I think he thinks they learn more of a lesson from him being honest and upfront about it, uh, and him not defending them. I mean, when Alfredo uh-huh. Morelos was sent off against Celtic afterwards, he said, I, "I don't know what else I can do to get through to the boy. You know, I can't do any more for him." Uh-huh. One of, one of the guys I had a lot of respect for was Jim McIntyre. 
Jim McIntyre used to come out and, and, and call a spade a spade. We thought it was a, a red card, red card, and sometimes he would come into your dressing room and say, I wholeheartedly agree with your decision, wholehearted, and I'll be having a word with the, the players' aspect and that. And uh, he never, whether he got bait or whether he won, he never turned. He, he always come in or he made the, uh, the comment and then carried on and done it in the media. So maybe uh, more and more of these coming out, uh, the credibility level goes up. Well, I'd like to see Stephen Gerrard then, Charlie, on after an old firm game, if his team's been beat with a penalty kick, if he comes out and says it was a definite penalty kick. Well, we'll see. we'll see. Well, he said that with Jordan Jones with a red card, didn't he? And, and uh, they get beat. Yeah, but that was. That uh, side. But Charlie, I mean, Stevie Wonderson yeah. was a red card. Aye, <laughs> but it'd been just as easy as Charlie said for a, for a, a manager to say I didn't see it properly or whatever. Yeah, yeah. My managers hate for Even these things. A... Arsene Wenger <laughs> yeah. never saw one penalty against his team or one red card against his team. I, I know that. I know. Not I know. one. Uh, but all I'm saying and is... And how many years was Arsene Wenger at? 20, 23 years. <laughs> 23 oh. years at, at Arsenal and he never saw one penalty and he never saw one red card against his player. Never saw it. That's it. Wait, wait I go, go up and see my, my um, analysis guy and he'll show me my, aye, my aye. Uh, DVD back, etc, <laughs> etc. Listen, we talk, about, we talk about officials working in tandem and uh, St. Johnson, we saw... Uh, a kind of situation like that uh, with the St. Johnson Aberdeen game with Stephen McLean uh, and the yeah. linesman over the penalty. Yeah, Stevie's obviously in that position. He thinks it's a penalty kick, and Graham Stewart, who's looking straight down the barrel of the gun at it, and he's got a, a better and a, and a different opinion, <clears throat> and therefore he has got the courage of his convictions to put his flag up and say. Stevie, are you 100% sure that there was contact there? Because I'm 100% sure there was no contact. And see, when somebody puts a, a, an argument like that towards you, it puts doubt in your mind. It puts doubt in... And the way Graham Stewart has probably put that across would have put doubt in Stevie McLean's mind. And he would say, OK, I, could, I, I might not have seen that as clear as what I did, and therefore reverted to the... Uh, the decision of a, a free kick and a caution for simulation, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, do we do we need to see more so, of that, Jerry? Yes. Yes. Well, it happened before, didn't it? Did not happen up at Tannadice. But does it happen enough? No, it doesn't. But, Charlie, but this is the, this is the difference between this is the difference between having a strong assistant referee in a good position against a strong referee in a poor position. And vice versa, and and it's the it's the communication aspect of it, and for that, and, and I remember uh, in early times coming on in the way you built. If I say to you straight away, doing the microphone, no penalty kick, that puts doubt in your mind. But you could be standing there on the line saying, well, "I'm 100 sure that's a, I'm 100 sure that's a penalty kick." And when you put it, when the, as soon as you raise that flag, as soon as the assistant referee raises that flag to stop the game, the referee has then got nowhere to go. There must be dialogue between them. And and th- this is this is where it all kind of comes down to. Yeah, you'd love to see it, but we're not going to see it in every decision. But we're going back to the clear and uh, obvious refereeing error. But you've got to be. You're right, Charlie. I would say that. 
about strong a strong linesman or a strong referee. And the incident I'm going to say to you, Bill, you'll remember it and Charles will remember it, was Dougie McDonald giving the penalty kick for Celtic at Tannadice. And the linesman... Oh, 100%. Yeah, it cost him his career. Cost him his career, correct, mm. correct. So cost the linesman his career, yeah. Yes. Okay, Hibbs goal ruled out. Uh, was it a clear push? Uh, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the wee ones, and, and, and Jerry, you'll probably uh, have seen. It's one of the, can I get away with it? You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, can I get, just a wee shove in the back. Can I get away with that? And then the ball drops to his teammate who slots it away. Clear foul. Uh, never else to go with that one. Charlie, yeah. I've got to be honest with you, and I don't know whether both of you agree. You see the ones that you try and be too subtle about, they're the ones that I think become most obvious. You know, when yeah, you're exactly. To, yeah. When you're trying to yeah. nudge somebody and it's a wee flicker, a wee nudge, uh, and you're trying to hide it, and that makes it all the more obvious. If you're quite yeah. blatant yeah. and you just kind of, it looks like you're, you know, you're just being overly boisterous, I think you've got a better chance of getting away with it. Getting away with that, yeah, 100%, yeah. Because it just looks so unnatural, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> if you're going to be, if you're going to barge into him, it looks as if you're going to go for the ball. It's like an unnatural side, yeah. It's the old, it's the old thing there. again about putting your hands up when when a player goes down. As soon as you put your hands up, I think that's you done straight away. Yeah. I never touched him. Oh yes, you did. That's why you're protesting. You know, and, uh, and players just uh, don't uh, learn uh, from yeah. it. Uh, let's move actually, to. Let's move to that uh, match between Arbroath and Partick Thistle. The Donnelly goal ruled uh, out for offside. What's your thoughts on that one? Oh, what a brilliant goal. See, see when you look at the, the position and stuff Or like not, as the case may be. Yes. And the only thing I can defend Alan Mulvaney with here is the Partick Thistle defender who plays him onside is possibly blinding. The assistant, an Arbroath guy in front of him. So, see, when you actually look across the line, you see the Arbroath guy and the Partick Thistle guy behind them, slightly advanced, and then the boy who sticks the ball away is about a yard and a half onside. And that's the only bit I can defend uh, where Alan Mulvaney's looked across and he saw two Arbroath guys offside. Uh, and, and done it for there but again when you look at it, it it's a it's a perfectly good goal and our most consistent referee in our view Bobby Madden getting his chance for uh, Champions League yeah he's away, he's away to uh, Bayern Munich he'll be taking charge of Bayern Munich versus Red Star Belgrade tomorrow night so um, it just shows you what we've been, I know people have been saying oh you're just Happy talking them up, talking them up, etc., etc. But uh, you've got to do the, the, the talking on the park. Uh, they were waxing lyrical of the Air United, Dundee United game at the weekend, uh, how the, and they just let the game go, the game flowed, and it was a, a, a brilliant game of football. So yeah, and you can you can uh, quote me that Bobby will get more Champions League group games as long as he keeps performing in, in the stage. Charlie, who would his backup be on that, his assistant referees on that? It'll be the same guys all the time? Yeah. Um, David Rowe and uh, and Kevin Clancy's away as the fourth official. And he's got two Dutch guys as VAR assistant referee and uh, 
the actual uh, video assistant referee, the assistant video assistant referee who works with offside and the video assistant referee who works with the referee. So they're two guys from Holland that are coming in to, to help him out with that. Yeah, I would I would say, Jerry, he'll have the same team operating in Europe. Um, so it'll be the same. Uh, and then when they go through, the, when the additional, if they're going to still go with that, additional assistant referees, it'll be the same two that will go with them as well behind the, the mm-hmm. goals. So that goes back to the consistency. That goes back to, because see if you're away in a trip, see if you're away for three days and, and, and you're, living out the, the pockets and because when you go away people believe it or no have, have different thingies so Kevin Clancy will be going away making sure that they're, they're up out their bed their, their breakfast their, their time to be here their time to be there and everything will all work Bobby will just go and concentrate and, and the referee will go up for the pre-match and uh, uh, security meeting at 10 o'clock where Bobby will speak and, and uh, everything will all and everything will just falls into to pattern. People think you're away for a three-day jolly, but it's actually quite uh, tiresome. Uh, but everybody's got their duties. And, if, and see if you can trust people as you go on and go on, then it only makes better. It's a bit like when you played, Jerry. See if I'm centre-half or centre-midfield and the person next to me, see if I can trust him with my life that yeah, he's yeah. going to dive in <clears> and help me and help me. The relationship is there uh, and, and you work together. And if you get that, then you go abroad and you, you work well together. Uh, and maybe, as I said uh, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, maybe that's something that you should maybe look at bringing back into a domestic game as well. All right, Charlie, always good to talk to you. We'll talk to you again next week, same time, same place. Thank you for your learned counsel tonight. And uh, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Just, just a, make sure you are all watching on Friday night for the old uh, Kelty Hearts Hawking Lake Talbot game. And, <laughs> and, yes. Uh, are you going, Charlie? <laughs> uh, are you going? I'm, I'm going up and uh, I'm going up in the Friday night to watch. Yes, and then uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how we go. And I wonder, I wonder how many miles we'll clock up as we go to the the. the Fourth round or the fifth round this year. Oh. No, but a great game. A great sure. game. Oh. Good luck. I hope you get. Hope you do. I hope you've just not put the curse on it now. <laughs> no, no bother. No right, bother. Good to talk to you. Take care, guys. All the best. Thanks again. Charlie Richmond, our man in the middle, the man in black, uh, talking us through the weekend's uh, refereeing decisions. Um, The more we we talk about these things and you look at the topics that we've got to talk about, Jerry, the more I still think, how can we not have VAR in the game yet? Hmm? But, Bill, there's still people... I'm not sure of VAR. How many bad decisions has VAR made? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not questioning that. What I am questioning is that we don't get the opportunity to review decisions where everybody else does, and that makes us more vulnerable to criticism. It's not about the value of VAR in terms of its credibility, whether it's right, whether it's wrong. It's about the fact that our credibility is automatically challenged because we don't have the ability to review things. Well, a certain referee got it wrong in the game two weeks ago down south in a Premier League game, and then having watched it back on the VAR, still got it wrong. 
Well, that is that is something that you've got to look at. You've got to look at referees. And don't forget, the referees have got to concede that they've made a clear and obvious error. Yes. And they don't always necessarily think that they have from where they've been on the park or whatever. So, so they still have the option. that VAR can't okay. overrule the referee. They can only ask the referee to confirm that he's happy with his so decision. Both folk who watched that, that game said the referee was wrong in his decision, right? Mm-hmm. And then having watched VAR, the referee's got to admit that he made an error by overruling. And he didn't. OK? So he then gets slaughtered by everybody at the game, the media, all the radio, to say that not only did he have a bad performance in the game, but having watched television, he didn't see it. He didn't see the, the, the infringement. So, so you don't you don't think the value of being able to look back, whether a referee makes a wrong decision twice in a row, right, right, isn't the issue. It's the value of being able to go back right, okay. and change your decision. Who's going potentially. to make right, who's going to make those decisions? Well, the referee's going to make that decision in but terms who's of going to, okay. Who's going to be the technicians on the VAR? Well, it's it's clearly defined what what is covered by VAR and what isn't covered by VAR, but. We don't have any guys. Uh, uh, I doubt very much if, if uh, Bobby Madden has he been trained in no, VAR. No, no, But the point I'm making is though, how long can we do without, without VAR it. when everybody else is moving to VAR? But they're not happy about but, it. But, Ger- but Jerry, this is what happens with us. We look at everybody, and everybody's wrong, and we're right. No, this is this is the way that we look at the world. Oh, you're all wrong. We're right. No, it's all about money, Bill. We don't have the money for VAR. No, that's not quite true because all, the, the VAR is available in a basic form. And BT Sport said that they would trial it for, for the Premier League. Everybody, did you believe that when VAR was going to come into operation, did you believe that it was going to be similar to rugby or American football where... Everybody in the what? stadium watches it on the big screen. Well, Did you believe that would happen? I, I thought that was what was going to happen. That's what I thought. Right, that's what I thought. I did not for one minute think VAR will be two guys in a dugout over a television and relaying it back through a telephone. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. So, is it a... Is it a, a well, okay. A cheaper version of VAR. Is, is the an- well, no, maybe the answer is... Maybe the answer is, have we refined it to its highest level? Or is that what we still need to do? And maybe we are smarter than everybody else by waiting till it gets refined to its highest level. But we'll never use it at its highest level because that's when the finances will ban jacks Well, it's like buying, in my line of business, buying new taxis. There's a new tax on the road now called a, a, a Pro Cab, which is a Ford. Um, it's two-year-old. But a lot of folk won't buy them because they want to, to see what happens after 100,000 miles. Now, if certain things don't happen after 100,000 miles, people will then go and buy them. Mm. It'll be the same price anyway. They'll go and buy them, but they're reluctant to buy them because they're not sure of what it offers right now. Yeah, the only difference is that when we get to the 100,000 mile point Uh and it's refined to a certain level, we won't be able to afford it because we can't afford the level it's at now. Right. That's That's my point. Okay, then that's for the the, the SFA coming to swing where that you would need to say that okay when we're selling the game you have to sell it at a higher level mm. because of incorporating or, VAR or you find a better way to make VAR on a shoestring more effective well I don't think that will happen I think it's mm, going to be who knows, who knows Mark Kerr how are you 
Hi, I'm great. How you doing? Are you a VAR man or not, Mark? No, I don't get involved in that. <laughs> but I'm asking <laughs> you to. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, at the time, you just think that will help. It's definitely going to go ahead and it's going to be, be good for the game. But when you see how much stuff's happened in the first few weeks of the season, you just start thinking, uh, man changes. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's mistakes that are getting missed and... and uh, Referees is Jerry said they're overruling or not overruling, just not changing their mind in certain games. So I'm, I don't really pay that much attention. I think if I was involved in a game and some happened, then obviously I would, I would maybe pay a bit more attention. Yeah. Mark, Mark, do you get concerned? And I know Jerry will be, uh, and I do to a degree. Do you get concerned that VAR and other things start make the the tail wag the dog? Well, I think you see every year you go to referees meeting as a captain at times and. It's about me. Some things at the meetings, you just think, what's the point? In you? What is the whole point of that? You don't see it working, and then you go back the next year and have to change that again. So Mark, what, Mark, that does constantly happen. Mark, did you believe, I'll just say to Bill there, did you believe that when we're talking about VAR coming into the English Premier League, I thought when they, talk, when they spoke about VAR coming in, I thought that any major decision, the game would stop. Everybody look up to the to the, the gods and look at the big screens and everybody in the ground, referees, everybody would then see the decision that was going to be made. I thought that was going to happen. And then what happens is the referee runs off to the to the tunnel and there are two wee guys in a wee dugout saying, No, it's not a handball and, and nobody's any the wiser. The referee comes out and points to either a goal or, or a penalty or whatever. But there's no there's no nobody else has seen it. Nah, you exactly. You don't see until you go back and watch the replays at night and all the rest of it. And, um, but also see why, maybe why they wouldn't do that. Um, wasn't the big scheme, but I did think that's the way they were training. That's what I thought, Mark. An added bit of excitement, you know, and the fans would get involved. But then, uh, you also, if they do see it again and it's blatant, and then the referee doesn't overrule or doesn't give the penalty, then they could be mayhem in the stadium. But I did think that. I think that was the way it was put forward. Yeah. At certain certain times on the TV. Right, let's move on to more important things. What a cracking result you had uh, on Saturday against Dundee United. And of course, it's not been without a little bit of controversy surrounding it as well, Mark. Yeah, I think going into the game uh, over the past couple of weeks, the gaff has been aiming towards Dundee United get it down to our place and, and let's go for the to get top of the league. Um, so that's been in our, in our team talks and, and build-up. Um, and it's been a real focus on the game but obviously we had a couple of injuries before the game at centre-half uh, so it's a wee bit of upset during the week but as uh, the gaffer does he always seems to, to put a good team in the, in the park and, and get the results um, the stuff that came after it I think is a, um, a build-up from, from last year with obviously players uh, maybe talking to Dundee United before um, the game was done which was fine, but I think it was done on the week of when we were going up to Canada's to play them. Uh, and I don't think that's that really gaffer, and then a couple of comments after that, um, which maybe questions the gaffer's uh, coaching or whatever. Um, I don't think it was directly questioning him, but when you put things out in the paper, then people believe what they read, and maybe they start, start seeing it a different way. Jerry, I've got to be honest, I like when there's spats between managers. Look, I, I think the fact that everybody would have thought United would have gone down there and won the game. Maybe all United fans, but I, I, I personally thought United would go down there and, and beat 
area need to edit. Um, which I shocked. I was shocked at the results. Why, why were you shocked? Because I, I, I thought, Air's best player for me last season when I watched three or four of the games was Shankland. Shankland could do nothing wrong but score goals. And I thought, it's a big, big blow not to have him there. And it's a lot of goals to lose in your team. Going to Dundee, I, I thought it strengthened their team. When I look at all their players and look where they came from, look at the experience they've got. And I've said to you before, I think experience gets you at that league. And I just thought that you know, Dundee United would have went down to air and won the game. But the fact that Shanklin was leading the line anyway. But fair play to Air United and Ian McCall and, and Martin, the guys that, that rallied round. And for me, what a great what a great result because it keeps the league alive for them. Mark, what's your thoughts on Jerry's uh, Jerry's assessment of things? I think um, probably much the same as everybody else would have would have thought. I think you look at squads now and you look at um, experience and they've got this and they've got that. For me, it was just a chance, really, because um, we beat that team last year and it's much much the same as it was at the end of the year. Liam Smith was a good player um, and probably boys are a bit more bedded into either side, but for us it was just about, obviously we've lost Shanks and at the start of the season, where are we going to get the goals for and the rest of it. So looking at it, we were, we were confident that we could beat a Dundee United team. Uh, obviously minus a few players and they've obviously got them in their team. Um, but I, I just think the gap, maybe the gaffer goes about it and the players he brings in, we've had a change of shape. But we're, we're a different um, we're a different side this year again as well. We've kind of progressed, I would say, in other ways. Although we've lost the goals and lost shanks in the team, we've changed our 4-3-3 and I just think we're picking teams off and we're, we're opening teams up in a, in a whole different way this year. Um, so I think the gaffer's combated that to a certain extent. You'll never replace Shanks' goals. You can't score the goals two years in a row and, and just replace it because strikers are so important and you don't get many like Shanks. But I just think the gaffer's adjusted and I think that's where the surprise has probably been um, on the head-to-head on Saturday. I think it showed that we've we've maybe changed the way we play and Robbie's probably thought this is how I get, can get at the um, United. But we've come out and we've, we've, we've set up differently and we carried out the job perfectly. Mark, do you think Air will finish higher this year than what you did last year? Aye, I think I think we'll finish in top four. And last year I thought that probably should we go down the injuries and stuff like that, we would have finished higher. So this year we've got a small squad again. So I think we'll be top four and I think we can finish I think we can finish higher than that. I think if we get a wee break here and there um, that we probably didn't get at the right times last year, then we will finish higher. Mark, is, is the gaffer been able to identify what you know specifically? Apart, take away the injuries because they can happen at any time to any team. But was there anything particular that Ian McCall thought this is what let us down towards the final uh, kind of sprint for the line last season? Was there anything that he identified that he's, he's managed to put right this season? Um, well, back for this last year, I think. Um couldn't really question that we'd pace them so that was fine. I think probably he identified we need more goals in midfield and I totally agree with that. You've got me in there for experience, I'm not going to bring goals. Um, I think we Andy Murdoch done a brilliant job last year when we came in with five goals. Um the white players had a quite a lot of assists but didn't have a lot of goals in them. Maybe I don't think Andy reached double figures, which you need in the wide areas in a, in a midfielder as well. If you're challenging at the top top of the league and you're trying to win it. 
So I think it was that was the main thing. Goals, and I think he's done that with young Stephen Kelly. Uh, Luke McCown, I think he's done six, maybe seven this year already. Um, and me Forrest has got a couple, which I think he only scored three last year. So I think already, maybe in midfield, I think we've maybe two or three that'll be scored double the amount that they'd scored in the wide areas and attacking midfielders last year. So I think that, that was a key a key thing. Um, we were 4-4-2 last year, so it was me and Andy sitting. So you're basically not really getting any goals coming through there. And if your wingers, wingers are uh, adding to that, then you're, you're, you're limited in the middle of the park where you're getting goals from. So he, he, he's definitely identified that. And he's, he's done it well again. He's, he's got the goals. The boys have started to score and there's solar confidence. Mark, where do you train? Uh, we train at Air Academy, so it's just up the road from the stadium. Mm-hmm. So it's the jump in the bus jump or jump in the cars. Um, and... That, that's basically that. So we used to train at Glasgow for a couple of days a week, but we're just based down the stadium now. We just travel to the school. What, what's the size of the squad exactly, Mark, at the minute? Uh, I think we've got probably about 18 first-team players, I would say roughly. Um, maybe 19 at a push. Um, already we've, we're using a lot of young boys. You've got boys that maybe can't train a couple of days. With the week through the injuries and niggles, you, you just got to kind of wrap them up for a few days and then they're ready for the Saturday. So it's a, a small squad. And, and is it bigger than last season or is it about the same? It'll be roughly the same. I think Gaffer works on his numbers basically the same yeah. everywhere he is. So it'll be, be much the same. I think uh, they might be doing for, for one more. I think they tried to get one in uh, before the party for the game. But it didn't happen. So he's, he's not jumped the gun and just took anybody. I think he'll bide his time and maybe. We'll pick one up um, maybe in the next few weeks, or they might just leave it till January, depending on on who becomes available and as he fits the fits the dressing room and fits the fits the team. Mark, I think I think other teams would take you serious this weekend because there's no point of being done yet at home and going at the following game and no winning the following game. And on paper, the, the following game should be easier than done yet, you would imagine. So the onus is an air now to win Saturday's game to show that. You're going to show a wee bit intent that you will be there. I, th- I think last year, Alawa, uh, <coughs> um, we had great results against Alawa last year, um, and we, we always came out on top. The, the previous season, we, it was a team who we struggled against um, when, when we were going for uh, League One. So the boys will be aware that, that it's a hard place to go, and they've got a pretty consistent kind of starting 11. It's, it, it, there's a there's a job and always seems to to be a uh, a team to beat. So the boys do know that and they already speak about that there. I think their, their dressing room's kinda this focus uh, early part of the week. I always not get a lot of resources and sometimes the things that go on at our training can make up the numbers like Neil Scarlet is in goals two days a week because two hands and it's at Parkhead. A lot of scales you just boys just go on mate and, and we just make it the best we can. But we've always got to focus on the on the next game to get carried away. So I think they always kind of get grounded every time we go to set up and take part in training. So we, we do we do realise that we're a good side and we can beat any any team on our day. But we need to be consistent um, to be up there. Yeah, the, the danger in the championship, Mark, and I think everybody that we talk to admits this as well. The danger in the championship is what you've just said about Air United. Other teams believe about themselves that anybody can be anybody on their, their day. I think that's uh, 
the way it's going already this season. Um, there is a big gap, obviously, there's a few teams at the bottom there. Uh, they haven't managed to pick up that win. But uh, we've, we've, we've beat Morton pretty comfortably at the start of the season, and then Morton went in a rerun, uh, and we're sitting a couple of points behind us. So if you put it into that kind of context, that you play a team that you think, right, that was pretty comfortable there, and then they go out and beat a couple of teams in a row that you thought maybe be higher in the league. Um, so and Dunfermline was a great start to the the Brentford and they've, they've not won a game um, part of Sissel but you would think they'd win games so teams are going there and beating these teams so it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely dangerous to go in there thinking uh, we can just play go out there and play and, and we'll pick up the result um, but luckily enough it's not the way the gaffer manages and he, he fills his squad with players at all but that's not that's not how how it goes in this week. Just going back to the squad, Mark. How many of those that are involved in the squad are loanees? Well, we've got Ross um, Doohan, we've got Steve and Kelly, one from Celtic Rangers. Uh, Ross was there as last year, obviously, he was outstanding. So we've got him, who's started brilliant again this year. Young Stevie Kelly for Rangers, he's been excellent, uh, scoring goals and looks a real threat, carries the ball really well for us. Um, and then we've just got the boy um, Jordan Houston on from Rangers of the right back. You know, um, it's, Jordan's no, no start of the game yet, but he's, he's looked good in training and I think he'll be a, a reliable loanee um, rather than he's sitting over on the bench. I think he will, will play his part. So we've got three, three bodies in. That's that not too bad, actually. We've got four. We've got Frank Ross, but he's not, Frank's not uh, played at all and he's, he's not really trained at all. Um, he's had a couple of Setbacks with injury. Yeah. Is that the Aberdeen lad? Frank, yeah, Mark. yeah it's, uh, I thanks down for there. I think he's got a lot of ability and stuff, but not not been lucky enough to, to see him um, in training or, or in games. Yeah, so we just need to see how that one, one pans out. But the three, the now two of them are, are uh, really contributing uh, a lot. You know, Jerry, it's one of the things about, you know, being in the championship with smaller budgets and things like that is for a lot of managers every season they have to press the reset button because they have quite a number of players in that are loanees that are going back mm-hmm. to their clubs and they have to get other loanees in. Uh, so that's not too bad for the United, really, four. Well, probably three three main ones yeah. playing anyway. But, but it's but not too bad. No, I think that's fine. That's fine. I think, uh, Mark, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but Air had a great start to the season last year. Yeah, they did. And then after Christmas, you started tailing away, Mark. So I think. Aye, we did, Jeremy. I think Sorry, the objective this year is if Air can hang in there to Christmas and be either first or second in the league, then I think I would have to say that they could be title contenders. I think last year it was. At the time, we had a couple of chances to go ahead of Ross County. Um, the first uh, half of the season, and we never took that to. Although they were a strong squad, and we knew they were a uh, good side as well, um, we never managed to, to get in front. And then we had, I think, for a two-month period, from November to the end of January, we had out of starting eleven the first fifteen games or sixteen games. There was five or sixes out for that, that two-month period with six, seven-week injuries, and we never quite got back to to what we were. Um, I don't think. It was ever, we ever played the same starting eleven again the rest of the season either. Uh, you know, so there, there was a lot of factors. I know everybody had to deal with injuries. I think it was just the fact that it was five like starters. Main the nucleus of the team was was the same all the time, and they had the momentum for the year before. 
Um, this year, I think we've, we've got a, maybe five or six starters that are different. So it'll be interesting to see how, how well we can keep it going. Mark, um, how, how is your fitness in terms of... I know I'm not saying you're an old man, but you're you're at an age where you don't want to run about too much in the park anyway. Mark, so, you see when they say I'm not saying you're an old man, that means they are saying that. No, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Because you, you've got the guys. You've got, I told you before, but the guys at Rangers are 36 and 37. Mark's 37. Why is it you relate everything back to Rangers? No, I'm just. I'm you're just, obsessed by no, Rangers. No, what no, is it with no, your I'm lot? I'm not obsessed, but no your chance. lot are obsessed with Rangers. Listen, What's the deal there? Listen, I'm going to say to you, Mark is, is at an age where you don't want. To run about too much, you conserve your energy for what you're good at. Now, how long do you feel good this season, Mark? And how, how long could you think you could play? Well, I had a baby uh, 12 weeks ago, so I, I was off the pace for maybe I've done the full pre season, then I had the three, four week period where it was just a bit family kind of thing. Um, I never started the season, the first two games. I wasn't sharp enough anyway, I was nowhere near it, but the past three weeks I've probably played. Some of the best football I've played for the last... So, like, go back to the time when you're really playing well. But as you say, Jerry, sometimes you pick up niggles, you can't train every day, mm. and all the rest of it. But right now, this month's been, been brilliant for me. I'm feeling... When you feel like this, you only feel 20-odd-year-old. But that you do get stages of the season where you feel you feel right. I need to maybe tailor training here, or I need to play in my head in, in the Saturday-Tuesday games. But luckily enough, the gaffer kind of... Looks after us that way. He, he doesn't mind uh, adjusting the training or he, he adjusts the team for a certain game, and, and he, he always seems to manage it and get it almost spot on. So, Mark, um, on a on a hard way. on a hard training session, say a tu- we used to do double session on the Tuesday. So, on a Tuesday, if it was a yeah. double session, would you do the full session, or would they let you miss out one or two things? I would just say, look, kids, don't do these ones if you don't want to. If I'm feeling the way I'm feeling the now, I say, no, it's fine. I'll Later on, um, sometimes you overwhelm and just says, "Well, I'm telling you that you're the, no, you're important now, and, and I need you, um, so you're not doing it." Um, or it gives me, a, it'll give me a Monday off and the Wednesday, so I'll just train really hard on the Tuesday, so I'll do everything. I'll do everything for the Friday. So it's kind of like that, and it, you're a wee bit reluctant, as you say. Sometimes you try to, say, well, I'm not that age. I need to do everything, but um, you do get your stage where you say, "Right, well, I think." That's probably the best idea. <laughs> we'll just take a wee break. Well, listen, good luck for uh, Saturday against Alloa. Good to talk to you, Mark. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again before the end of the season and good luck to your United for the rest of the season. Thanks for talking to us. All the best, bud. That's great, thank you. Cheers. There you go, Mark Kerr there from Air United talking to us uh, about their start to the season and a great result against Dundee United at the weekend. We'll take a quick break, we'll come back and it's the Jambos that are under the microscope next. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces and it's exclusive to Plumbase. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the Plumbase Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. At Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low-mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning-fast service and same-day drive-away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. 
Visit Merge Point Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank, even if you no longer have it or the paperwork, just text GOOD to 6677 to discover how much you could be that's good to double six treble seven. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint, and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. Love music, live sport, talking football with Bill Young and Jerry Collins on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, let's move on to Hearts. And before we do, is uh, I'd just like to reiterate what I put out on my Twitter feed today and, and wish Jim Jeffries a great recovery. Um, and I hope that, that he's feeling a lot better after his heart attack. Uh, yesterday, Jim, of course, playing golf at Gullen uh, when he collapsed and uh, is now recovering well in hospital, we're told. Uh, so, Godspeed to Jim Jeffries, an absolute legend at, uh, at Heart of Midlothian. And uh, let's hope he's, he's back in his job as technical director at Edinburgh City in the not-too-distant future. Uh, because I know the club uh, kind of issued a statement earlier on today as well, wishing them all the best. Uh, while we speak about Hearts, one of the biggest Jambo fans that I know is my very good friend, uh, Mark Donaldson from ESPN. Mark, how are you? I'm good, Bill. Good evening. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. First of all, thank you for coming on and talking to us uh, all the way from America. I, I know it's probably a busy time for you, ESPN, uh, but I, I don't know many Jambos fans that are bigger Hearts fans than you. Uh, and I, I thought if anybody's got an opinion on what's happening at Tynecastle at the moment, it's going to be Mark Donaldson. So overall, just give us your overview of where you think things are with the Jambos at the moment, if you would. Yeah, I might be a big uh, Hearts fan in absentia, but there's obviously uh, the Hearts fans that go week in, week out, which I'm unable to do now, Bill. Uh, I watch it on Hearts TV. I still have a big passion for the football club. Unfortunately, right now, things are, are not going well. There's a malaise, and things need to change. And unfortunately, it doesn't appear like there's that much change on the horizon. So the more you do things and you keep doing things, you've been doing them and expecting different results, it ain't going to happen. The one stat I want to bring up, and it's something I do on a Hearts podcast every week, we've been keeping track of the number of times that Hearts name an unchanged lineup from week to week. Um, we have worked out, I think there's only two in about a year and a half, and that was from a League Cup to a League game. Um, there's a lot of talk about how things are going to change and working on defence. But there needs to be a bit of stability. But being a hypocrite with this comment, to get that stability, we need change. That might not sound like it's, it's sensible, but things can't keep going the way they're going. 
What would that change mean in terms of, you know, personnel? Are we talking about players? Are we talking about the manager? As you know, there was a demonstration outside Tynecastle after the game against Motherwell. And uh, it would seem that Hearts fans now are also starting to make their views known with their wallets. I, I was told today that some of them are withdrawing the, the subscription that they make when they, they took the, the, the club forward uh, financially. Others are then saying they will make up the shortfall. So there seems to still be quite a division between Hearts fans as to what should happen. In your view, what should happen, Mark? Well, there's a fair bit to get to from that. First of all, if anybody can afford to put in and has been, don't just stop because you don't like the way the football club is being run because that's just another issue. Um, most of us, I know, put money in every month for what we can afford. Um, and to, to be honest, that, that goes way beyond the manager. That's, that's for the structure of the football club. Now, we had unification. As, as much as we were going to get as Hearts supporters um, when the Foundation of Hearts uh, took over the running of the football club following the, the chaos um, that that Russian rascal, Vladimir Romanov, left. So there was a bit of uniformity. Everyone was kind of batting in the same direction. The problem that we have now, Bill, is that there's a discord uh, among the supporters. They're arguing with each other. They're getting called names, as I was when I made a suggestion on Twitter. Um, but I think it's time up for, for Craig Levine. They need to move on. Um, and, and it's just, there's an anger. And um, I, I know um, that there are managers that have taken their clubs to, to Tynecastle when Hearts are like this. They love it. Normally they hate going to Tynecastle because it's a very difficult place to go. But they can use the Hearts support as a 12th man. The other thing you mentioned was change. What needs to change? Well, players have changed. Players have changed a lot under Craig Levine. There's been talk of we only need to make three or four new signings. And lots more have come in. There's talk of we don't need a new goalkeeper, a new goalkeeper comes in. The injury issues, Craig Levine can't be blamed on that. Hearts fans might say that, that it's his fault. Is it, is it just a coincidence? Is it, is it bad luck? I don't know. But there's a hell of a lot of injuries uh, compared to other teams. Now, he has come out, Craig Levine, and said we're, we're going to try and focus on maybe just one pitch or, or two pitches. We're not going to change pitches all around to, to see if it's the surface. The bottom line for, for me, I, I was a big Craig Levine fan, and I, I'm maybe in the minority. I like Craig Levine as a person, but like me and like others, he's very stubborn. But he also has himself a foothold in that football club that's going to be very difficult to dislodge. Hearts fans are not going to be unified by the simple dismissal of Craig Levine because you're going to have everyone at odds as to who's coming in next or who should come in next. But I think what you mentioned about the direct debits and the finance and everything like that, there's got to come a time now where if the status quo remains, we're going to be in a position at Tynecastle where fans just don't care anymore. And that's it. Do you know what? This made me sad at the weekend, Bill. I was watching the Motherwell game, preparing for an Italian game I was doing on Sunday. So I had the Motherwell game on Hearts TV. I know we got a second goal back by the, the Japanese, but you kind of thought, you know what? If, if we have to have a, a big thumping here for things to change, then so be it. It happened at Falkirk with, with Joe Jordan and things weren't working out and there was change there. But it doesn't appear right now as if there's any any change going to take place this week. Mark, Jerry Collins here. Mark, if, if he changed Craig Levine as manager, did he then revert back to the director of football role? Or what would happen to Craig Levine? Mm. Good to speak to you, Jerry. And I want to bring up something um, later about a life lesson he taught me 
uh, many, many years ago. Um, you'll have no recollection of it whatsoever, but it's certainly it stuck with me. So it's good to speak to you. Um, at first, at first, I thought, you know what, director of football, um, we need some, we need change in the managerial structure at Pinecastle. And I mentioned the stubbornness that we all have, and and let's. I mentioned hypocrisy earlier as well. Let's put ourselves in Craig Levine's position right now. We would all do the same. We would all bite and scratch and do everything we can um, to say the right things, to try and give excuses, to try and keep our job. It's called being the chief executive of the Self-Preservation Society. But if you put him as director of football, what changes? Does that limit who he can bring in, who he's still going to have power over? The, the, the whole stubbornness, and, and this is where, it's, for me, is going to have to come down to, I think what Craig Levine is doing is, is taking the youngsters, uh, we saw it at Dundee United, we've seen it at Hearts before, and identifying. He knows the name of every single kid from under 10 all the way up at Tynecastle. For me, that's his best role. I think, um, not like Josie Mourinho, but I think at times now, football's changed, and there are certain people who are maybe struggling hard to adapt with the same formation they used the last time. So could you have them as kind of head honcho of, of the, the academy? Would that be an issue for him? Because it would be a demotion, or it's tough to cut ties completely because he's a director of the football club. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Right, Mark, Right, the, my next question would be, the players at Tynecastle, are the players there at present the players that they can get hearts out of the situation? If so, then it's a no-brainer, the manager must go, or is it the manager it's not getting the best at the players, or is it the wrong players that's been selected? So do you think, that in that sense, that the players are good enough to get, to get them out of the, the predicament? Jerry, I don't think the players are good enough to get them out of the predicament. I think they're good enough to finish third or fourth. And there's a big discrepancy there between getting you... And, and this is the interesting thing as well. This is where you need fighters. This is where you need guys in the, that you want alongside you in the trenches that are going to scratch and they're going to battle and they're, they're going to fight. This isn't the time for pretty footballers that are going to be ice technically, but when the going gets tough, they go hiding. I'm not interested in players like that. So there's no point in saying that these players are good enough to finish third or fourth, which I think they are, but they've got to prove it. Now, is that tactics? I don't know what it is, but you take the best Hearts team available, when everyone's fit, and I know Craig Levine would use that as an excuse, and it is tough because he lost Neil Smith a lot last year. That's when things started to go wrong. But the form since the end of October last year has hearts bottom of the table among the teams that are still in the league. So the players are good enough. So for me, it's the manager not getting the best out of the players with either the tactics or a lack of motivation. Mark, let me ask you this. The longer this goes on and the longer this unrest builds uh, and the the fans become more divided, surely it leaves less options for Anne Budge to make any decision that's going to satisfy or placate any of the fans regarding Craig Levine's future. And I take on board what you say about his entrenchment within Hearts as a club, but... That, that You know, we've spoken about this before. Whenever a manager comes under fire, he'll try and bat it off and he'll say, we're going through this and we can change it. Craig Levine's been very vocal again today, saying, if I honestly didn't believe that I could see light at the end of the tunnel, I would go tomorrow. I don't think that is the case. I think he's, he's, he's fighting for his, his life as manager. 
and Budge saying at the end of last season, nobody's bomb-proof, not even Craig Levine, although people think he is. But then you've got this situation where the board are now being rounded on by the fans, and usually when that happens, there is only one course of action a board of directors has. That's to be seen to be taking action, and the only, the only action open to them is to remove the manager. So the longer this goes on, does it then kind of make Anne Budge hamstrung in whatever decision she makes? The difficulty here is that the board of directors at the football club contains the manager, who the fans want the board of directors to get rid of. Going back to the Self-Preservation Society, going back to the, if we're triggering, we're doing exactly the same. But something's got to change. And that's, that's the issue here, because, as I say, whoever you get coming in to the place, it's not going to be a quick fix, whether it's... I, I, I've got a thing on Twitter saying, let's have a short-term solution. Gary Locke, Gary Naismith, they're both at the club. Let's get two guys. Gary Locke's record in derbies is, is, is phenomenal, um, both as a, a player and even when he was in kind of a temporary charge or in charge for that season. But the, the problem is, is how entrenched is Craig Levine in the workings of that football club right now because he's the only one. He's the one that Anne Budge goes to for advice about football because he's the only one on the board with a proper football knowledge. They all have different attributes. A lot of them have a lot of really good business acumen. But if I'm asked, if I'm Craig Levine, if I'm asked what should be done, I'm going to say that as well. So it comes down to Anne Budge and it comes down to the, the, the owners of the football club and the board of which Craig Levine is part of to make a decision as, as to what happens next. Because in all the years, I went to my first football game in 1985. And that was a, there was a derby that year as well. In all the years that I have been going to Tyne Castle and to Easter Road for Edinburgh derbies, I don't think I've ever been involved or from afar in a game that this is happening on Sunday that there's such a malaise on both sides. And surely, if it's going to be status quo and both managers will be in the dugout this weekend, surely there's no way back for the loser. Well, that's something that I said on social media today. Whoever wins it, do they, com- do they con- uh, condemn uh, the other team's manager to history, to the, 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 the trash can, for want of a better expression? Heart, sadly, if you look at their... Uh, they haven't won a league game in the last 10. They have the lowest point score out of all the Premier League teams since last October. Uh, now, had that been anybody else, in fact, when it was that way for Cathro, he he got hunted. Craig Levine took the bull by the horns. Is there not a, a degree of hypocrisy here by Craig Levine more than anything? I don't know about hypocrisy. I want to turn that question around and say the winner on Sunday. Is that not just a giant piece of wallpaper that's going to paper over the cracks? Because just because you win a derby, and it might be a draw, but if there is a winner, that doesn't mean all's right. It means you get bragging rights, but you're still in the same predicament you were going into this derby if it's Heckenbottom against Levine. And the things clearly aren't right at the football clubs. So this, this is a weird one for me. It'd be interesting to get the views of Hearts and Hens fans as well. Would you rather lose the derby on Sunday knowing that there's a better chance of your manager being replaced than winning the derby and getting bragging rights but knowing that your manager is likely to be gone for the short term? Difficult question to answer right now. I don't know what I would go with without a proper think, but it's it's something that's certainly worth a thought. Is it just a win? We'd be papering over what are clearly large cracks at both football clubs. 
I think the fact as well is here, Mark, is see if Hearts won the game on Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday, Bill, Hearts can go to seventh in the league or eighth in the league. So I, I know I know the fans are, are up in arms with Craig Levine, but I just worry, Mark, that if they, if they bullet Craig Levine, the next guy coming in has got to work with the players that's not performed for under Craig Levine at the present time. I just think that if you give them to the... Because <laughs> they're not going to get relegated. I know they're down there. They're not going to get relegated. They'll pull clear somewhere. But I just find that, that the manager who's worked with them knows the players better than anybody. If he's been through a bad run, does the previous record that he had at Hearts stand for nothing? Because I think he deserves something for being a Hearts legend. For the fans to get behind him, just to try and lift him, to try and lift him out. And if the fans have done everything to lift him, because all I hear now, Mark, is the fans weren't ready, Craig Levine. And I'm, I'm always a, a manager's on the manager's side. I want the manager to do well at a club. I think if the manager's got a year or a two-year contract, I think he should see the contract out and then they change the manager. But I just hope that Levine gets the time to change it around. And I really, because he is a nice guy. And you said earlier on there that you like him as a pe- I like him as a person. I want him to do well. I really want the guy to do well. Jerry, it's not a personal thing. It's, no, it's, I know, it's, Bill, to, I know. it's to do with the club and where they are. And I mean, let me ask you, right. let me ask you this, Mark. Are you surprised at how quickly it's all gone wrong for Hearts? Yes. But this is something that, um, going back to us being in the Craig Levine position and doing pretty much the same as he did, we're not, we're not going to give up our job for doing that. But as Jerry said, it's, it's gone past the whole um, nice guy and, or, or whatever you think of him. This isn't just about this season. This isn't Craig Levine having taken over in the summer, it's not worked. And then they're suddenly saying that he's got to go. This has been a malaise that's going on for 11 months now. Um, hearts were flying at the start of last year. They're not anymore. The sum of the Hearts squad is not equating to the position of Hearts in the table. And, and that's a sad thing. Um, now, on this podcast that we do, a Hearts podcast every week called Around the Funnel, I said maybe three or four weeks ago that I, that was it. I thought, right, okay, Craig Levine should go. However, this is the caveat. It's like anything in life. We all can find problems, but try and find a solution. So the solution to this is, well, if you're going to get rid of them, you've got to bring in someone who's going to work. You can't just get rid of someone and then, then what now? Now, at the time, I said, Craig Levine, I didn't want him to, to continue having with the results he got, but I didn't want him to go at that precise moment because I didn't think there was anybody who, at that time, um, was the right person to come in. We don't know who the right person to come in is. Is an ex-Hearts player, like a John Robertson. Is it a Gary Hall? Is it a Davey Moyes? If you can touch that. Is it a Chris Hutton? Guys like that. You're, not, you're never going to get uniformity of, of kind of agreement of everyone saying, yeah, this is the guy. It's not like Stevie Clark for Scotland, where pretty much every Scotland fan was like, this is the guy that we want. Some will want ex-Hearts. That doesn't say, no, don't go down that road. I want something a little bit different. I've lost count of the number of hints press conferences I was at when I was in Scotland that were outfield and left field appointments. And you're like, whoa, some of them worked. Tony Mowbray worked, but Paul Heckingbottom hasn't. So there's big decisions to, to take place at Tyne Castle. And if you're getting rid of Craig Levine, you have to have someone to come in who is probably better than, than what's going on. Now, right now, is it so, so desperate that we need a temporary fix? I said it on Twitter at the weekend. I'd have Mace with him lock in for one game or two or whatever until you get someone because I feel we're at that point now. The players are all going to come out and say, oh, we're behind the manager and, and whatever, but they're not proving it. I just want to end, if you don't mind, Bill, with a quick story about uh, Jerry 
April 1996, and I was a, a cub reporter at Scott IFM, and I was assigned the, the Falkirk beat. I think Jerry was assistant to John Lambie at the time. And Falkirk were in trouble. He ended up going down that year. But he hadn't been relegated when I spoke to Jerry this day. And I, my first question was about going down. The second question was next season in Division 1. And Jerry stopped me. And he put a couple of F-bombs in there as well, quite rightly so. And he basically said, look, he said, if my players were listening to this, what message am I sending out if I'm talking about being in Division 1, which was... The, the second tier at the time. Just not a case of trying to be more positive, but just a little bit more thought into the questions. You know what? That stuck with me ever since that day that, that Jerry said it. Could he have been a little bit more polite? <laughs> Maybe. But you know what? It was the intensity of the answer that, that kind of got to me and made me think. So just want to say it's the first time since then, Jerry, that we've had the chance to speak. So thank you for that, because that was a big lesson I learned that day. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. Listen, Mark, I've got a, I've got a couple of guys who are, are big Jambos fans, and, and there's one wee guy, Liam Telford. Liam's on with us all the time, and he's been shouting for Craig Levine's head on a pole for God knows how long. Uh, and he makes one point tonight via Twitter. He says, Bill, can you tell Jerry and Mark, it's not just the results the fans are mad about. It's a boring style we play. We feel we're watching Wimbledon and it's not football lately. Can't argue. Can't argue with that at all. The players that he's got, I mean, I know Walker's injured or, or whatever, but for Uche, we're going to come off the Vries. It works back then. When he's first fell in charge before he went down to Leicester City, it worked. He had a little bit of flair, but it was a kind of, it was a passion. But now it's not working. And that's the problem. Defensively, it's not working. The style of play is not attractive to watch. Now, there's this argument that we have in Edinburgh with Hearts and Hibs fans. I've got a lot of Hibs, Hibs mates, um, and I've got no issue whatsoever. I want to beat them like everyone else on a match day. But when we don't play them, I've got sympathy for, for the situation they're in, and they've got some sympathy for the situation that we're in. But they've kind of seen themselves as, as Edinburgh's footballing team. They want to play nice stuff or whatever. For Hearts fans, that's nonsense for us. We want a team that's successful, that's got the better of Hibs. And to be fair, it doesn't really matter how we play. Not to the extent of the style that is dull and, and boring, but I want to get a win. I want to play some nice, attractive football, but not to the extent of playing it out from the back or, or whatever. And that is that, that's an issue. So I totally agree with the tweet that Hearts are not good to watch right now. Haven't been good to watch for a while, and since the kind of uh, the slippery slope of last October and uh, the semi-final against Celtic. It's just not being fun to watch anymore. I don't want that on my football team. I want to enjoy looking forward to seeing Hearts on a Saturday, either in person for those that go to the games or, or on Hearts TV. I'm not enjoying it anymore. That's sad. Final question before I let you go, mate. Um, if Hearts don't win at the weekend in the local derby, and I take the point because Jerry McCabe made it last night, that if they did win, is it just wallpapering over the cracks? But if they don't win... Uh, you can expect a lot more protests from fans. They will become a lot more vocal. I believe that there is a protest planned before the game uh, this coming weekend as well. So let me ask you, if they don't win that game, what happens next? And how long can the board and Craig Levine sustain the current position? I had the Hamilton game as being the game to Craig Levine, <laughs> win or box. He didn't win it. Then it was the Motherwell game, so they're going to keep going. I mean, we've got a quarterfinal of a cup coming up uh, against Aberdeen. There's three games, including the Motherwell game. We've, got, we've had three games. Um, what do we do? Do we wait until we're out of the cup? 
because right now, I wouldn't bet Hearts throwing money against Aberdeen. I don't think Aberdeen are brilliant right now, but I think they're better than, than what we've got. I think this weekend, I'd rather the game was at Easter Road. Because Hearts right now, I think the players are nervous when they play at Tynecastle. If they lose, well, they lost to, to Motherwell. He threw against Hamilton. We said it was time up then. So, so what now? I don't know is the answer. Is there going to be more protests? It shouldn't even have got to this stage. And that's the sad I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to try and second guess what they're going to do. But they've got a lot of dissatisfied customers right now uh, who are also supporters. And a support, I mean, there's, there's more and more empty seats creeping into Tyne Castle. Season ticket holders aren't even bothering. That's not what we want. Actually, to be taken before it's too late. Yeah. Matt, final question from me. Do you think, you were saying there, in the last 11 months, it's been a kind of steady decline. Do you think the inclusion of all the young talent that's hanging about Tynecastle, because a lot of young players came into the Hearts team two seasons ago, guys like Harry Cochran, who at the time we felt or we read about, or I did anyway, that this is the next best thing to leave Tynecastle. But there was a lot of young players coming in and they were all blooded into that first team. Has that been a, a downfall in Hearts then, maybe playing too many young kids in the team at that time? No, I don't think so. Their growth has now been stunted. The guys like um, Harry and Anthony McDonald have gone on loan um, to Dunfermline and, and other teams. I don't think it's a case of that that, that is an issue um, for Hearts. It was neat to master when Hearts were bottom of the, the Premier League or Premiership before they, they went down to the Championship. And then it was a couple of years ago when they, they blooded the youngsters as well. But, you know, when you were a manager as well, you, you, took and, and you, you probably were more careful with the youngsters because you wanted them to be successful. So it wasn't a case of burnout or, or whatever. The problem Hearts have had is that these kids have played probably too much initially and then they've hardly played again. Yeah. And now there's a quick fix. Let's bring in a, a Glenn Whelan or a, a Lloyd Dumour from Cardiff and... and they're still giving the likes of Andy Irvin and others an opportunity, but I certainly don't think the youngsters, uh, I think the way that they've kind of been put in and then taken out and moved around. I go back to what I said right at the start, Jerry, and there's, there's this lack of um, familiarity, this lack of consistency of selection that's been a problem for the football club. I don't believe there's been one game, I think there's, there's two, as I mentioned earlier, two fixtures back-to-back where Hearts have named uh, an unchanged lineup in the last 18 months. I don't think there's been one um, from league game to league game. That tells you all you need to know about the problems at the football club, which are far more than that. But you've got to start somewhere. Um, and you, if you're playing a youngster for a game or two, let's see what he's going to do. He's not going to, make, he's not going to learn from, from mistakes that he makes in, in reserve games or whatever. Um, look at the kid Aaron Hickey. He's suddenly good enough to play in a cup final against Celtic. Um, and then he got hurt, I think, and then he's played it right back in one of the games and, and whatever. Let's just have a bit of uniformity of, of selection here. But maybe it's too late for that now. I think the ship has sailed. OK, mate. Listen, always good to talk to you. And I, I've been watching with interest the little and getting bigger and bigger. Uh, she looks absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> uh, so, uh, listen, give my best to the but family. Not gorgeous, but getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> no, she looks lovely. She really does. Listen, always good to talk to you. You know that. And I appreciate and value your opinion on this. Uh, so thanks for talking to us Cheers tonight. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Uh, Mark Donaldson there from uh, ESPN talking to us tonight about hearts. Craig Levine, the future, the past, the present. Uh, I don't know what happens next because he makes a very good point, obviously, about how well Craig Levine is entrenched uh, basically in the whole fabric 
of of hearts. But Anne Budge has got a big problem now, Bill. Well, that that's what I said problem. last night. A that's what problem. I said. Uh, you know, she can't come out and make the nobody's bomb-proof statement and then build a bomb shelter around him. Yeah. There must be a cut-off point where she... Where do you think it is, Jerry? Is it after Aberdeen? I think, yes. I, I would say, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, they're playing a team in the derby that are as nervous as they are. Yeah. And the fact that the games at Easter Road would suit Hearts better than it would suit Hibs, because Hibs have underperformed as well this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's in their favour. If they don't go by Aberdeen in the quarterfinal, I think that she would have to make a decision. But does she make that decision without knowing who can come in and take over? Or does she then turn to the next hero, John Robertson, who's did mm, okay, okay, no good, okay, with Inverness? Does she turn to him and think, he's a legend at Trencastle, he can come back in with a Gary Lockett, he said, I don't know. But she will need to have somebody ready-made to come in. Who would you put in? One of the names that been bandied around by young Mr McCabe and Mr Burns, Stevie Robinson at Motherwell. They think he'd be a good fit. Mm. I never thought of him, but I tell you what, yeah, I do. 100%. They both think he'd be a great fit 100%, for Hearts. 100%, because if you look at his recruitment on what he's did and how he plays, I wouldn't disagree with that either. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's very interesting, and I think... I, I never gave it a thought, and I think, yeah, 100%. Yeah, Well, whoever come up with KB or, or Shug, 100%. Well, it was Shug initially, but KB then agreed with them. Oh, and, well, I've got to agree we, with them. And we kind of talked it around a bit, and uh, he made it very clear what his thoughts were. But if you're Stevie Robinson, would you leave an up-and-coming Motherwood team to go to a... Unimpressed Hearts team in the position they're in. Potentially, though, I mean, who's the biggest club when you look at it and who's got the biggest potential? Who's doing the best at the present, Bill? Well, that's not the question. Oh. The question, who's the biggest club and who's got the most potential? We know that. So that, that that's a no-brainer. No, I'm asking you. No, Hearts, obviously. Right. right. But his reputation then comes into question if, does he go to Hearts and, and go through the same fate as Craig Levine went through with a struggling team? Or... If he can get the don't get me wrong, if he get the, went to Hearts and get the best out of the players, then he's a hero. He's an absolute hero. But if he goes there and it doesn't work, he's back to square one because his reputation at, at Motherwell must be grown. It must be. So to leave a Motherwell team to go to a, a struggling Hearts team, it's a different fight, Bill. The way that the way that Motherwell are playing, they're playing with confidence. His team talks week in, week out is all about the confidence. That completely changes to go to a Hearts team where it's a different it's a different state of mind you can't go and play free football and free free flowing football he's got to then go and get guys to roll sleeves up and to be counted and has he got that in his locker I don't know I really don't know it's a big gamble for him if that was the guy they went for is that a guy you would go for Definitely, what's it? A hundred percent. I never gave it a thought, but what he's done for Motherwell, his recruitment. I'm always a big stickler, Bill, for managers on recruitment, and I think if you recruit well, your team will do well. And I think he's recruited well. He's probably getting the best out of them. Now they let the guy go, Curtis Main, who I thought was a handful last season mm-hmm. for any team. They let him go. He's away, and he's 
They've come back and they've, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're fitter, faster, and they're getting results. Yeah. But to go to a Hearts team that's struggling, Bill, even need to change his whole ethos of how he play the game. Because he's telling people to take the ball and pass and play. Do you do that with a Hearts team that's struggling? Okay. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll look at European football next. And by the way, if you want to take part on the programme and talk about what we've spoken about uh, so far, we can always put the old European stuff in the back burner. Uh, I think Mr Shut Up wants to have a wee chat with us about the local derby. Um, all you need to do is give us a call. It's uh, 0333 9442. That's 0333 9442. Remember, uh, if you've got a mobile phone, this should be included as a free call in your bundle, so it won't cost you anything, or it shouldn't do. Oh, treble three nine thousand four four two. If you want to talk to us about anything we've spoken about, if you're a Hearts fan and you're fed up of trying to make your point on Twitter, and you want to come on and have a bit of a rant on uh, the phone, you're more than welcome. Uh, but if you want to talk about anything that we've discussed so far this evening, or even so far this week, you're more than welcome to do that. Oh, treble three at nine thousand four four two. Imagine raw power. Supreme skill, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and national pride. Imagine putting your body on the line for the greatest prize in world rugby. The Rugby World Cup 2019. Rock Sport Radio will bring you comprehensive coverage of this titanic battle between the world's top teams. Who will reign supreme? Will it be Northern or Southern Hemisphere? Rock Sport Radio's Lewis Stewart will be in Japan to give you the latest team news and reports from all of Scotland's games. The Rugby World Cup on Rock Sport Radio, brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Convert your rugby skills into two free tickets to the Six Nations in Rome. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today and take part in their conversion challenge. Just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello! Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett can help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. That's GOOD to 6677. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint and if unsuccessful you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Jerry Collins on Rock Sport Radio. 
Okay, folks, before we talk more things, let me just give you some uh, latest scores at the moment in uh, Group F and Group G in the Champions League. Uh, let me tell you, in Group F, it's uh, Inter Milan, Nil, Slavia, Prague, 1. Group G, Leon 1, Zenit, St. Petersburg, 1. Were you doing that to put your glasses right, or was that one of those looks that was McCootin's burst? My glasses fell down. Oh, that's no, all right no, then. No, it's, no. I just wondering. It's just the way you did it. It looked <laughs> no, all, no. It looked a bit like oh no, no McCootin's no. burst no, already. No, no. Uh, don't forget the other uh, the other matches going on tonight. Uh, Eight o'clock kickoffs. You've got Red Bull Salzburg against Genk, Napoli. And this is Group E, by the way. Napoli against Liverpool. Uh, Borussia Dortmund in Group F against Barcelona. Uh, in Group G, Benfica against Red Bull Leipzig. In Group H, Ajax against Lille. And Chelsea against Valencia. Um, we'll talk about the Europa League stuff with Rangers and Celtic in a wee minute. Anyone want to talk about any of these? Well, I heard a funny thing today, Bill, and I don't know if you heard... Oh, by the way, sorry, Jerry, right, I've, okay. I've interrupted, okay. but I've done it for a reason. Uh, Forfer manager Jim Weir and his first-team coach Barry Sellers have been involved in a car crash after training last night, both recovering well at home, though, so we wish them a speedy recovery as well. Yeah. And thank goodness that it hasn't uh, resulted in them being hospitalised yeah. or worse. I can only echo that with you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate, I've jumped no, in. I was going to say, but I don't know if you heard the day that Juventus, do you know how these ultras, have you heard the story? Yeah. That, that the ultras have went to the club and told the club, told, not asked, told the club to give them tickets for games where they can sell the tickets to who they want to sell them on the black market. And if they don't come up with the tickets... These ultras are going to sing um, vile songs where the club would get fined and get points deducted. Did you hear that? I did hear that, yes. Now, how can that... I, I mean, we talk about here about, about racism and sectarianism at, at football grounds. How can the police over there not intervene? Well, that is blackmail. Actually, to be fair... It's probably not even blackmail. It's, it probably, blackmail. it's probably extortion. It is, no, it's black. The guy said it's blackmail. Blackmail. It's bla but it's a mafia. It's the mafia, and these ultras are attached to the mafia, and the clubs are terrified, and they're now threatening clubs to get no sale, give them tickets where they can go and make hundreds of thousands of euros to build up their. And I'll tell you a story, just and we'll come back to that because it's kind of linked a wee minute uh, at some point. I was actually stuck for three days, and it wasn't an unpleasant being stuck, but because of weather and I had to catch a ferry, I was stuck in a place called Pazzallo in Sicily for three days. And I was getting a ferry to Malta, uh, and the weather was so bad the ferry couldn't run, so we were there for the three days. And I, I like to go exploring places. I love walking around anywhere. Uh, and I was walking along, and I love seafood, Jenny. Love, absolutely love seafood. Yep, snap. And uh, I saw this seafood restaurant, and there was a sign outside it. And the closer I got, I saw little writing at the bottom of it. This is a God's gospel truth. And it said, Cooperative Il, Il Padrino. Now, Il Padrino is the Godfather. That's what it means in translation. The Godfather. Right. Il Padrino. And there it was. Cooperative 
El Padrino. So, so where we have might have had Scott Mid and Clyde Bank District Co-op, they've got the Godfather Co-op. But you know, this is something that surely is, is that a fish restaurant. Yes, it was. It was seafood uh, restaurant. Did, did you read the Did you read the bottom correctly? Was it no the Codfather? No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It was definitely El Padrino. Uh, the Godfather. Um, but no, I, I mean, look, this can't be allowed to happen because what it'll do is it'll set a precedence and other fans and other clubs will start to do the same thing. You know, they've got to be able to do something about that. That's ridiculous. Uh, the only other way that you've got as an option, and I'm not, you know, it's not Juventus's fault, but you, the only other way is that you punish the club and you eliminate them from European competition. But that's, so, that's what they're saying, Bill. If the club don't bow to their wishes... They will sing and chant. But if you're UEFA and the club do bound to their wishes, surely they've then infringed some kind of UEFA rule. And therefore, the, the only way that you can stop this is without the singing, just eliminate Juventus from the tournament. That's what the club are frightened of. So the, the likelihood would be that the club would underhand give them these tickets for them to sell in the black market at a price they decide. Yeah, because the money goes to the, the the mafia guys or the ultras. They're taking the money off the club. But they're now threatening and blackmailing the club. It's Jeez. unbelievable. It's absolutely frightening when you think about that. Well, somebody somewhere's got to take some kind of action because that can't be allowed to go on. Otherwise, where does it end? Well... I heard that today. So it was at the Italian journalist today. I heard him on the radio and I couldn't believe it. And certain people could not believe it was happening. And they're saying, what about the police? Well, the police? What did the police do about the mafia when the mafia were running them all in Italy and Sicily doing what they're doing? They're not going to get involved. They're not going to put their head above the, the parapet, Bill, because they don't want to be taken away. So mm. these guys think they can rule a football club like Juventus. Because they can see the wealth that Juventus accumulates through their Champions League and through all the, the revenue, and they want a piece of But let's not forget as well that Juventus themselves have been guilty of corruption and stuff like that. So maybe they've kind of a, they've fostered this over the, the years from a time themselves where they were less than lily white. Oh, well. Who knows, Bill? Who I mean, knows? I'm not saying I'm not saying that they have. I'm just making the point that possibly they have. I don't know. I really don't know. I just found it very interesting that, that people are coming out threatening a football club. I, I, surely, I don't find it interesting. I find it horrifying. No, but surely that could never happen here, Bill. Because if, if it happened in Scotland, the first thing you read about is that the cops would go at their door. The people would be locked up, surely. Mm. But the state of affairs in Italy, nobody knows. And you're right, there, there was so much corruption over there with teams bribing other players. Well, the Juventus were put down two leagues, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it happens over there. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was going to say to Charlie when Charlie was talking about European football. I remember Brian McGinley telling me that he'd done a, a European game in Italy and you get, get picked up at the, the airport, taken to the hotel, check in. You've got the delegate from the club at the time. The guy takes you to the hotel, you all say, him and these two linesmen sign in, go to the room. And this is gospel truth. Brian McGinley said to me, on the bed in my bedroom was a gold Rolex watch. There was an envelope unopened and there was a 
something was a third thing. I can't remember what the third thing was, but her name was Gina. No, no, it wasn't. No, no, no his name was John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there were three items built on the bed, and it was for him to select what he wanted. And the first, I said, "What did you do?" He said, "I just phoned down security. I security come up, took a picture of it, and then sent it away again." But you talk wow. about corruption. Corruption did happen a lot over there. Listen, let's go back to the Hibs Hearts game. Mr. Shut Up is on the phone uh, from us tonight. Whereabouts are you, my friend? Uh, take it, are you still in Alabama or are you somewhere else? No, Bill, today I'm in Jackson, Tennessee. Tennessee? How far is that yes, from sir. home? Oh, it's not too far, Bill, about 150 miles. I usually operate about 150 mile radius. I go home every day, so I'm not ever too far. Now listen, I know you're a Rangers fan, but you wanted to talk about uh, the uh, Hibs Hearts derby uh, this weekend, and I assume you've also got uh, some comment to make on the situation at both clubs in terms of the managers being under some kind of threat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, after listening to Mark Dawson, he knows a lot more about it than I do. Uh, he covered all the bases. Uh, that that was a good interview with him. Uh, I really don't have too much to add to it. He kind of answered some of my questions, too. But you know what's going to happen this weekend, Bill? It's going to be a nil-nil draw. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what's going to end up happening. But, you know, that may be the best result for both managers. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, I don't know about Hills, but it sounds like the pressure is really building with every loss at the hearts. It really does. It's going to be interesting. Can I ask you here, Jerry Collister, can I, what's your connection with Hey, Rangers? Jerry. Hi. What's your connection, how did you follow Rangers from afar? What was the connection? Well, like I was telling Bill last time, um, I'd heard of them, I always knew of them, but I never really followed them close or watched much. About a year ago, which I've been following international football, um, mainly Premier League in England, since 2013, about six years. But I watched uh, Old Firm Derby last year, and uh, it really drew me in. I mean, the passion, the storylines of the game. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And that's kind of how I got hooked up. Um, I just like the Rangers. I, you know, I learned a lot about them. And uh, it just really interested me. And I just started following them. I, you know, the whole six years I followed the Premier League, I never really picked a team or anything. I just kind of watched them all. But when I watched that uh, old firm derby, man, I just... It drew me in. I really liked it. Not, you know, of course, Celtics. You know, they got a good team and everything. But I like the Rangers. I just one, really one do. Of, one of the other things that pulled you in, though, was your experience of watching MLS with uh, Steven Gerrard when he was in the MLS, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's the reason I watched that uh, game. Um, was I wanted to see Steve? You know, I knew he went up there. I wanted to follow him, see how he was doing. And, uh, yeah, that's how it really got started with Steven Gerrard because he was over here at the MLS. And, uh, and of course, I watched him. You know, I watched his last game when he played for Liverpool. So I, I watched him some, you know, all the way back to 2013, too. So, yeah, that want, was the main reason I started yeah. following him. Do you want, do you want to ask no, anything no, else, go, Mr. Mr. Collins? No. no, no. no. Do you ever, is, sorry, do you hope to go over to a game one time then? I do, Jerry. Uh, and I told Bill... 
if I win the lottery, I'll be heading over that way and I'll meet you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I very can... expensive. I, I've already, yeah, I've already checked on tickets and stuff like that, and it's pretty expensive to get over there, but uh, but it's doable. So maybe one day I can make it over there. I I don't know. Maybe there's there's a couple of airlines that kind of fly budget from uh, the U.S. I don't know. You can buy different kind of levels of ticket. Uh, one of them's Norwegian. Uh, Norwegian actually fly, but I don't know how how far south they go in terms of their hubs and things like that. Uh, but they may be worth having a look at and seeing what you can come up with there. Uh, because I'll tell you something. If you come over, I'll get you set up to go and see a game. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bill, and uh, maybe it can happen one day. Yeah, I was checking on different flights and stuff, you know, just out of curiosity. If you wanted to get there in, say, 10 hours, like a direct flight, it would probably cost you, like, 3000 American dollars. But if you don't mind it taking, like, almost uh, maybe 20 hours, you make two stops. It's more reasonable. You get down around nine hundred bucks. Wow! You know that's not that's not too bad. And that is a return trip. That's there and back. So that wouldn't be too that's bad. A, it's a lot of money, though. A lot of money. Still a lot of money. Yeah, still a lot of money. It is. That's a lot of one hundred and fifty miles, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I do about five hundred miles a day, but I operate on about one hundred fifty mile radius. Uh, but I enjoy it, and that's one reason, you know, I. When you're driving these trucks like this, like I do in America, uh, you know, we're a big country and we got a lot of road miles. So, it, you know, it, it keeps things going, me listening to you guys and different things. I need to find out that podcast that Mark Donaldson was on because that sounds like that might be interesting, too. Well, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. I don't I don't know. I mean, have you, have you seen Mark on ESPN? Well... I don't think I have. That's what I, or maybe I haven't didn't know it. His name don't really. I'm not sure. I mean, he does. What also, does he do? He, does, like a, he does all sorts. He does football. He does uh, tennis. He does golf. Uh, okay. So he does all sorts of different sports. I mean, Mark is usually at Wimbledon when the tennis is on for ESPN. Okay. I mean, he's based in Connecticut. Right. He's based in Connecticut. Okay, yeah. Uh, but he's usually at Wimbledon for the tennis, and he does the Open Golf Championship here uh, and the Ryder Cup and things like that. So uh, no, okay. he's, a, he's a very, yeah. very, very, very good broadcaster and an old friend, and it's always good to hear from him. Sure. Sure, yeah, and that's probably the reason I haven't caught him much because I don't follow those other sports. Mainly I just follow college football, a little bit of NFL. Uh, so I'm sure I've probably seen him before, but, yeah, that was real good. I enjoyed that with him. And Okay, my friend, always good to talk to you. Thanks for giving us a call tonight. Keep your eyes on the road. It seems like you've got the old hazard lights on with the amount of clicking that's going on there. Uh, so I'll let you Oh, get- yeah. I'll let you get... Bill, you told me to be safe, so, uh, you know, yeah. I pulled over on the side of the road. Uh, and, and I'm glad And one you... thing, hey, before I go, yeah, before I go, Bill, uh, y'all cover that Rangers uh, final game coming up? Because I really don't know much about the team they're playing, so, yeah, I'd be interested in y'all's opinions on that game. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about that tomorrow and Thursday, of course, so keep listening. And, sure. And uh, you'll find out all about the, uh, the Dutch team that Rangers are facing. Uh, always good to talk to you, my sure friend. Will. Take it easy. Take care. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, bye-bye. Right. See bye-bye. you, Gary. All right, Cheers. see you, Bill. Bye. There you go, Mr. Shut Up, all the way from Tennessee. Brilliant. Listens every night without fail. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, though. Without fail. Smashing, smashing.
It was Stephen Gerrard that, that pulled him to uh, to Rangers by and large because he watched him in the MLS. Yeah. And when uh, when Gerrard came to Rangers, that's when he kind of got hooked on Rangers. Mm-hmm. So listen, let's talk about the Europa League because obviously it's, it's now group stages and it's big games for us. Uh, you know, we've got Celtic uh, playing Wren, we've got Rangers playing Feyenoord. So where do you want to start? Which one do you want to go for first? By the way, just was it was it Wren that Christopher Julian came yes. from? Now it's he's not cup tied, is he? No, because no. he didn't play for no. Wren. No, that's okay, right? That well, that's a good bonus for yeah, yeah. for Celtic yeah. and having him in the camp, of course, gives them good gives them yes. them good intel on yeah. Wren. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a hard game. For, I mean, by all accounts, Wren's a good team. Um, if Celtic, go, I would think if they go there and get a draw, then they're doing well. Difficult, difficult game for them. So. Got to get the away goal for me. Yes, you're right. But we thought that in the Champions League, Bill, getting the away goal in Cluj. <laughs> yeah, don't, you don't want to relive that. <laughs> no, but you thought... That's one of those times that you try and just consign to your, no, you, you your dark, dark recesses of your memory. You've got the away goal, you come back. I think I said to you, know, I'll repeat myself, Bill, I have, in all my time in football... Thistle, Hamill, Air, whatever, I'd never left a game the way I left Celtic Park that night, having been beaten with a team that I thought, how did they, how did they... They were ordinary. Yeah, how did they score four goals? I I, I was shocked, I was absolutely shocked, so hey-ho. But by all accounts, Rennes are a good team, and I believe if Celtic go and get a draw, it'd be a decent result for them. Hmm. i got a wee bit of a news for you about a managerial casualty, Colin McMenamin and the... Uh, Stenhouse Muir been sacked. They were beaten at home uh, by Cowdenbeath on Saturday. Yeah, convincingly. Uh, so, yeah, three nothing. Yes. So Colin sadly is no longer manager at, uh, at Stenhouse Muir. Going back to going back to the Europa League um, and, and going back to to Celtic uh, against Wren. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just thinking. <laughs> The Cluj thing, I can understand where you're coming from, but you've got to say to yourself, the chances of that happening again have got to be pretty remote, Jerry. Well, it happens every now and again, doesn't it, Bill? Yeah, but that might have been the now and again for Celtic because, you know, Neil Lennon will have learned a lot from that. It would have stung like hell for the players. You know, I doubt that they're ever going to be that bad again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I said to you a couple of weeks ago that, that I was at the Celtic v Hearts game Hearts get the kick off. And the first thing they did, number nine, shelled the ball right into the corner. Right in the corner. It's now called an Odson. Yeah. That's right. It's now called an Odson. Yeah. But they've done it and I thought, God, you've got the ball, you've got the ball away. Celtic take the throw in and pass away up the park. And then on the Celtic Rangers game, Celtic get the kick off. Mm. And they do the exact same thing, only they've done it with more penetration and more purpose. And it worked for them that day. Well, it didn't work for Hearts on that other day, and I thought, God. So, Lenny must have learned something from that, from Craig Levine. Mm-hmm. So, I think, I said to you before, that I, I felt Lenny was matured. I think he's, he now, he thinks what he's going to say. It, it, there's no ranting and raving, which I've seen yet. Still celebrates a goal, by all accounts. But I think he's more... Easy wozy and and what his his approach is to the game, Bill. Give me your thoughts on what you think the result might be. And Ren, yeah, one one. Okay, so the away goal's crucial. I, I so. think I think when you've got guys like Edward 
going back to France to play. He'll want to go back and show them what he's got, mm. what, what kind of talent he's got. So okay. I think he, he's a big game player for me, Bill. He scores in big games. He turns up in big games. How many times have you said to about a team, whether it be your own team or anybody else, he's a big game player? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He is. There's no getting away from that. Yeah. He, he rises to the occasion. Yes. But, you know, good players do shine in big games. That's what makes them great players. Um, Rangers at home, obviously, to Feyenoord. It's not going to be an easy game for them. At home, even. Um, Steven Gerrard, he's, he's got decisions to make um, in, in certain areas. He's midfield. Um, who does he pair at centre? Does he keep Golson and Katic? Uh, who does he put at left back? You know, it's, he's, he's left really only with Barisic at the minute. So, you know, Ryan Kent's going to be out because of a hamstring, potentially. Um, it's not an easy game, this one. No, but I see Rangers win the game. Cause I think, Oh, yeah. Feyenoord, they're rebuilding. They're now rebuilding their team again, Feyenoord. So I think that alone stands Rangers in good stead. 50,000 behind them. If he picks the right team, which I think is the Celtic game, is certainly for me picked the wrong team. And my Rangers friends that go to the games, Bill, tell me that his decision making in games where substitutions coming off or on, he's a bit late in doing it. So I think that was a criticism that was levelled at him last season by Rangers fans as well. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Uh, oh well. So I think he's got to get the selection right. I don't think that the five central midfield players playing against a, a, a young fire in our team, I think the way to penetrate them is width, but they don't have the width now because Ryan Kent's injured. And Jordan Jones is injured. So, as Hasty is in the. Hasty's away, he's in Rotherham. He's he's, uh, he's scored in his debut game for Rotherham, yeah, and yeah. then at the weekend scored in his debut uh, home game for, for so Rotherham. What, what white players would that leave Rangers? Well, the only players that you've got really is you've got Ojo. Is he a white player, Bill? Well, it's kind of operating in that area most of the out, time. He plays out to come in, doesn't he? He does, Ojo. yeah, he does. But you don't have an out and out white player? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Jamie Murphy fit again? Nope. No? No. No. Jamie Murphy's going to take a wee bit longer again than expected. He's uh, he's still having problems at who, the moment. Who would they play then? Morelis or Defoe? Uh, if you've not got any wide players, out and out wide players, I think you play Morelis. Because Morelis is more industrious than Defoe. And he'll go and search <coughs> the ball. He'll go and run the ball down. Uh, whereas I don't think Defoe does that. So that would be my choice if it was me that was picking between Morelis and Defoe. Who's the best striker? Uh, well, you've got to say Defoe in terms of his experience and his knowledge. and his t- I, I just think Defoe's got more in his, his locker. Oh, you've shocked me there, Will. Why? you shocked me. I think it's enough. Well, football, listen, the great thing about football is... It's subjective. We've all got opinions. I just think Defoe's got more in his locker overall. Who would I play? Who's a better goal scorer at the moment? No, who's a better player? I never said go to the better, the better player. player. It's got to be Morelis. The better player? Yeah, the, for Rangers. I the, think I think Morelis is the better goal scorer. 
So if he's a better goal scorer, that makes him the better player. Well, I would. Well, it depends how you look at it. No. I would play Morelis. Morelis is who would my would my pick would be without a shadow of a doubt. I'd start Morelis because if you've not got that width, Morelis will chase balls down, and he's good at it, and he can take opportunities. Morelis can take opportunities from at angles which you don't expect somebody to score from. Yeah. So that's where I would be. Yeah. Well, you shot me there, Bill, I just, No, I just think Defoe, Defoe's a more rounded player. I think Morelis will be as good as Defoe when he gets to a certain point in his career, but I think he's still got a lot of rough edges. He's not, and I've said this before, and Rangers fans crucify me for it, he's not, his touch is a million times better, but he's still not got the best touch in the world for me. He still misses opportunities. He scores the hard ones and sometimes misses easy ones. Well, I think if you ask defenders, Bill, who do you want to play against the four? Oh, they don't say Morelis all the time because... No, they would, no, they would not. They yes, don't. they would. No, they don't say the four. You can't oh no! Sorry, they would say the four. Yeah, they say the four because Morelis is more of a handful. Yeah, because Morelis. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he aggravates them. Yeah, so if, if he's the best player, you've got to play your best team. He didn't do it against Celtic. He's got to get the selection right and play his best team against Feyenoord, who are beatable because they're they're rebuilding. I would I, I would think the Rangers should win the game. Give me a result. 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two yes, I think they should win the game. Well, that's good because then they don't give away that away goal. Yes, I think they should win the game. If they don't win, one 2 nothing. If they don't, then I think the, the, the games become harder and harder. Yeah. That's a game that's winnable for them okay. because they're rebuilding. All right, listen, thank you for that. We're back tomorrow night. Ali Graham is back with me. We will look again ahead to the European ties and uh, more news as it comes in across Scottish football. Uh, Maury McGonigal, let's hear it for the girls, is up next. I'll see you tomorrow at 6. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Jerry Collins on Rock Sport Radio.